Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence here in our midst. We thank you that we can sing of these truths to remind ourselves and each other of these very things that we oftentimes forget or lose track of. Your sovereignty over us. Even what the enemy intends for evil, Lord, you intend it for good. That in our deepest sorrow and pain, we can still call out to you and trust in you and believe that you are at work. Today we ask that Your Spirit will move in our midst to take the truth from Your Word and make it applicable for our individual circumstances. And for that we give You thanks and we invite You to be our teacher and our guide into all the truth this day. In Jesus' name, Amen. Leonard Bernstein, the celebrated orchestra conductor, once was asked, what is the hardest instrument to play? Without a moment's hesitation, he replied, second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's the problem. And yet if no one plays second, we have no harmony. The New Harvard Dictionary of Music says the whole of music is often informally divided into three domains, melody, harmony, and rhythm. I don't want to talk much about rhythm, but let me just define it. Rhythm is a regular recurring pattern over time. And so in music, a rhythm is something where you see that a pattern repeating itself over and over again. We have rhythms in our own life. Right? When we have things that we do consistently over and over again. These are the rhythms of life. I want to focus upon melody and harmony, and I've asked Valerie, my lovely wife and assistant, to uh, help me out to give you an illustration. All right. Um, according to the website hellomusictheory.com, melody is a series of notes played in an order that is memorable or recognizable as a separate unit. In other words, it's a single note being played uh, on a page, different notes, but by themselves, played in a pattern. Uh, that's the melody. And Valerie's going to illustrate for us with a, a very familiar song. That's the melody. Simple. Right? It guides what we sing when we sing that song. But that's the base. That's the simple melody. Series of notes put together in an orderly fashion. Harmony is what occurs when more than one note is played at the same time or sung at the same time. And there are two different kinds of harmony. There is what's called dissonance harmony which is harmony that doesn't sound good. <laughs> harmony that is 
in a sense, irritating to the ear. It's not pleasant to listen to. And Valerie's going to give us an example of dissonance harmony. Okay, stop. That's, that's, <laughs> that's bad. She actually told me that's the hardest thing for her to play is the dissonance harmony. Now, consonance harmony is, is the, the playing of multiple notes together that provides a pleasing or soothing uh, harmonious sound. how it adds to the melody, right? The harmony, the nice harmony. Now, imagine if we added more harmonious notes, how much better it sounds and how bigger and, 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 and glorious it sounds. much better to hear. Thank you, Valerie. Now, I, I don't do this to give us a music theory lesson, because I certainly wouldn't be the one up here telling that one. But I want us to hear something that we're familiar with, but maybe don't think about, and relate that to how we live out our faith. That's the body of Christ. In a sense, you could say Jesus is the melody. He sets the tone. He, he determines the notes. He determines the direction and how this thing's going to go. And we, for our part, fill in the harmony as His Spirit works in us. We do what He's gifted us and called us to do in the body together. And as we work together for the same purpose with Jesus enhancing uh, the melody line, we make beautiful music together. When one of us or a few of us decide we're going to do our own thing, and we're going we're to go after something that we want, and we're going to serve the way we want to and do what we want to do and don't fit into, we become dissonance harmony. doesn't sound right. But when we all work together for the same purpose, when we fit into the, the way God has called us, the way God has wired us, the way God has gifted us, and we serve together for one common goal and purpose with the Lord Jesus Christ in the direction and guidance and power of the Holy Spirit, we make a beautiful, harmonious sound. And the more that join into that, the more notes that are being played, the more beautiful it is to the Lord and for the Lord. And so this morning I want to talk about living in harmony. Here in Philippians chapter 2, we see the Apostle Paul is continuing his line of thought from, from where we were last week, giving us the reasons why it's important 
that we live in unity or live in harmony together. We, we stand firm and strive together as we talked about last week, right? And what, then, then he talks about what it looks like. And then he gives us kind of the critical key to this being accomplished just in these first four verses of Philippians 2. Listen to what he says. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. The word therefore is always a connecting word. Most of the time it points back. In this case, if that's true, it's pointing back to probably verse 27 when he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the things that come of that, right? That standing firm, that striving together, and, and all that that means that we looked at last week. He says, this is, in light of that, or this word therefore could be connecting what's going on in verse 1 with what's being said in verse 2. In other words, he's saying, if therefore these things are true in verse 1, then make my joy complete in verse 2. That's probably the sense, but it could be both. Now it's important that we understand this word if. The word if here is technically what's called a first class conditional particle. And all that means is that it's not stating something that's, that's a possibility. It's stating something that's already fulfilled, a, a statement of fact. For example, if I were to say to you, if Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, and if he rose again on the third day, and if he placed his spirit in you the moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ, then you have everything you need to live out an authentic uh, godly, biblical Christian life. I'm not saying if maybe he died, if maybe he rose again, if maybe, no, I'm saying it as a, a statement of fact, but I'm using that word as a, a, a way to, to communicate that, right? If this is true, and it is, then this is also true. And that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, if therefore, and he gives these four statements, and these are the reasons for harmony. He answers the question, why? Why should we live in harmony? Harmony with God and with one another in the body of Christ. And he gives us four reasons why. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and by saying that he's saying, since there is, since you have encouragement in Christ. And so we, we, this word encouragement means admonition, exhortation, comfort, solace, encouragement. And what he's saying is that we have encouragement in Christ. We are, we are greatly encouraged from the life of Christ. The life that Jesus Christ lived provides for us 
an admonition and an exhortation, as well as an encouragement to live in harmony with Him and with one another. The way that He related to people, the way He demonstrated mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness. He lived in harmony with those who would submit to Him. Not everyone. Because not everyone submitted to Him. In fact, who were the people that He was not in harmony with as He walked this earth? The religious leaders. Those who thought they didn't need Him, they thought they knew. They were going to do it their way. They could get to God without Jesus. And they were proud. And they were uh, 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 puffed up. And they, they thought they had the way. But those who came to Him in humility, those who came needing His forgiveness, recognizing who He was, He extended all of this compassion, love, and forgiveness. And, and so as we watch His life, we are greatly encouraged to live in harmony with Him and one another. Secondly, he says, if there or since there is this consolation of love. The word consolation means a word which comes from the, to the side of one who's to, to, to stimulate or comfort one another. It is a word spoken that comes beside someone who's hurting, who is uh, in need of encouragement. And that word builds up and encourages them, consoles. It has an element of tenderness and persuasion involved in its meaning. And so we could say this, that we are tenderly persuaded by the love of Christ. Tenderly persuaded by the love of Christ. When we pause to consider, as we did in taking communion, what God has done to show love to us. That He came to this world to offer Himself as a sacrifice for our sin. When we take time to consider the love of Christ for us, we are encouraged. <clears throat> we are built up. We are persuaded to live as He has called us to live. Just this past Wednesday, as, the, as uh, we had the men's study, uh, we were looking at uh, Luke's chapters 12, 13, and 14. And as I, as I uh, began to read the very beginning of Luke chapter 12, I was, I was just, it, it, the, the words spoke to my heart encouragement. And it was these words. And, and they're things that we're all familiar with, I'm sure. But Jesus said this, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I thought, you know, God, I look around at creation. I see the, the beauty of, of the changing of this season. And, and God cares about that. God is is shouting his, his creativity in that. Well, he cares for the, the animals, the, the birds, and, and all of these things. Those, they're important to him. 
and he meets their needs. You read through many of the Psalms that talk about how God uh, rains down the waters and, and the springs pop up so that the deer and the, and the animals out in the forest can drink and they have plenty. God provides for them. He cares. And what Jesus is saying is that you are of infinite more value than these. We sometimes lose track of that. I do. And it just encouraged my heart. He says, he even has the hairs of your head all numbered. Now for some of you, you've made it pretty easy for the Lord. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, right, he knows every hair on your head. He cares that much to know that. And that love that He has for us, that tender concern, should persuade us to love in return. Love Him. Love one another. To share that. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ controls us, constrains us, persuades us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, as Jesus died for all, therefore all died, and He died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. We are tenderly persuaded by the love of Christ, the love He has shown to us. To live together, to serve together, to live in harmony. Thirdly, we're joint participants with the Spirit of Christ. He says, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit. Again, that word fellowship speaks of a common interest, a mutual or active participation in the things of God in which the believer and the Holy Spirit are joint participants. This happens uh, because of the Spirit's work of regeneration and control over our lives. A secular meaning of the word fellowship is to drink from the same fountain. Right? We have this in, uh, in common. We have this together. And so we are joint participants with the Spirit of Christ. He is at work in us. But we participate with Him by giving control of our lives to Him. By yielding ourselves to Him. When there is disharmony or dissonance harmony among us and others. It's not the Spirit's fault. And I would suggest to you, if you find that you have dissonance harmony, you're, you're struggling to have harmony with multiple people, you've got to stop and say, what's the common denominator here? It's easy for us to look and say, well, if that person did this, if this person didn't say that, if, if this and we just find one reason after another with all these people and we're the ones that are in common with all this. We have to stop and ask ourselves, am I the problem? Have I yielded myself? Am I walking in dependence upon the Holy Spirit? Or, you know, is He at work in me? Proverbs 16, 7 tells us that when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord... He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now that's not a promise, it's a principle. Right? 
but it it's guides us. When my life is, is yielded to the Lord and I'm walking with the Lord, there is, there is something that exudes from me. It's called the character of Jesus. It's the fruit of the Spirit that causes me to be able to live in harmony with other people, even those who would disagree with me for the most part. Now, Paul tells us, right, in, in Romans 12, if possible, so as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. As long as it depends on you, it might be the other person. But again, if, if i got a problem with a lot of people, then i got to look at my own life. We're joint participants. We're participating with Him in the things that He's doing. And that means that sometimes we, we need to let the Lord guide us even when we're serving. It may not be the way we thought we were supposed to do this. I'll give you an example. Uh, on Friday, Friday evening, um, Valerie and I went to the, the, uh, the Gideon uh, banquet for pastors. And the testimony speaker... Uh, was brought brought to the area by Valerie's parents. And so they, they were at our house throughout the day. And so we got to hang out with him for a little bit. And he was sharing with us some stories he, he didn't share at the banquet. One of those was a time when he was he and some others were on a, a scripture distribution at a, a college, secular college. And uh, there were others on campus at different places, but they got permission Right? By, the, by the authorities to be where they were. He had a piece of paper that said he was allowed to be there. He was outside in the parking lot, right outside on, on campus. And he's there with his box of, of Bibles ready to hand out to students. <clears throat> and a, a professor came out and said, you can't be here. He said, well, I got the credentials. I, I, I was told I'm allowed to be here. He said, you are not allowed to be here. You need to get off our property. And he said, and, and I found that the Holy Spirit saying, just, I, I got this, right? And so he said, oh, okay, well, where would you like me to be? And he said, you see that parking lot up there on the hill? He said, you need to go up there. There was nobody up there. He said, okay. So he picked up his box, and he went up to this empty parking lot, not one car in the parking lot. And he set his box down, and he said, okay, Lord, what do you have for me? And all of a sudden, four school buses, empty, Empty school buses pull into the parking lot. And the drivers all get out, and they get in one bus, and they're talking. And, and he's, he's thinking, what, you know, what are they thinking? What are they wondering? What's this guy sitting out here with a box, right? And all of a sudden, he sees a whole group of high schoolers coming out of the college. They were there for a college day, and they're coming to get on the bus. Some of them had received Bibles already from another place in the campus, but there wasn't enough for them all. And they come out, and they're like, I want one of those. I didn't get one. And they see him standing there with his box, and they, they attacked him. We want one. And so he just running out of Bible. He ran out. He got to the last one. And as he's doing this, one of the bus drivers come over and says, you can't be doing this. We're a public school. You can't be giving those out. He said, I'm not giving them out. They're taking them. <laughs> and he said he had one left in his hand. And the bus driver said, you better not give that to them. And he just held it there, and the kid gave him, took it. He said, I didn't give it to him. He took it. Another bus driver walked by and whispered to him, keep up the good work. We are joint participants with the Holy Spirit. Too many times, right, and I, and I realize there's times when we, we may stand there and say, well, I have permission, you're not going to tell me. But we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had a plan for him in that parking lot. And used a professor 
who didn't want him to be there to put him where the Holy Spirit wanted him so he could give out the Bibles to the kids. And he said, as I watched those buses leave, I could see those kids in there reading their Bibles. We're joint participants with the Holy Spirit. And when we yield to him, He's able to work, and we, we work in harmony with his purposes, and we work together. And then the last reason he gives, he says, if there's any affection and compassion, that word affection means tenderheartedness. And so we see that we are shown tenderness and compassion by the person of Christ. Tenderness and compassion. Because of how he has loved us. And, and chat verses 5 and, and following, we see the, the, the illustration of that. We'll look at next week. But what Jesus could have stood in heaven and said, man, I, I feel for these sinners down there who, because of their sin, they're, they're separated from, from us and, and they're going to spend all of eternity apart from us. And, uh, you know, I really feel bad for them. That would be pity. But Jesus had more than pity. He had compassion. And that compassion caused him to act. And so he left the glories of heaven and he came to earth to give his life for you and I. Tenderness and compassion. We are, are recipients of that and because of that and these other three reasons, we are to live in harmony with Jesus and one another. Then in verse 2, he gives us the characteristics of harmony. He answers the question, how do we know we're living in harmony? He says, I want you to make my joy complete. And that word complete means all the way filled up. He says, I want to see this completed. And then he gives us these four statements. By being of the same mind. That means to have the same perspective. We're not going to agree on everything. And we're not going to agree with how we do things. We're going to do things differently at times. But we should have the same basic perspective on life. We should have God's perspective. That perspective that looks at life from an eternal viewpoint. We're in this together and we are, we're thinking the same. We have the same perspective. And he says maintain the same love. Jameson, Faust, and Brown, their commentary define this word, uh, this same love, as equally disposed to love and be loved. To give and receive love. That's when we know we're in harmony. For many of us, it's much easier for us to give love than to receive love. right? To serve others in their time of need but it's harder for us to receive when someone wants to serve us in our need. And I certainly understand that. But when we hold people off from serving us in our time of need, we're preventing God from causing the body to function. It's hard to let somebody else serve us especially if we have spent a lot of time giving and giving and giving. But this characteristic of 
of a community of, of, of this harmony is both the giving and receiving of love. Equally disposed to love and be loved. And then he says united in spirit. This signifies a community of life and love. We are to, we are to be in community with each other. Walk this journey together. Some people talk about living life, right, doing life together. That's what we are here doing. We're living out this journey in community with one another. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And there is a saying that says, when you rejoice with those who rejoice, you double the joy. When you weep with those who weep, you cut the sorrow in half. And so we live in community with one another. We're in this thing together. When part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. When part of the body rejoices over something wonderful that's happened, the whole body should rejoice together. Because we're connected in Christ. And then lastly, he says, intent on one purpose. Have the same goal, the same purpose. We're heading in the same direction. And that is to bring glory to God through the advancement of His kingdom and purposes. The gospel and discipling people up in the faith. These are the things that characterize a group of people in harmony with God and one another. Same perspective. Giving, receiving love. Being in community and moving in the same direction together. And then the last question that he answers is, what is the critical key to making this all happen? The key to harmony, verse 3 and 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Nothing. We're all in process on that one, right? But the goal is to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Selfishness means factious, self-seeking. The more focused on yourself you are, the more lonely you will be because pride destroys relationships. That word empty conceit, best explanation of that I've ever heard is Joe Stoll who said, this word simply means the puffing up of my nothingness. And we've all been around people who, who glory in the puffing up of their nothingness. And everybody but them can recognize. It's me, 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 me. Look at me, look at me, look at what I've done, look what I can do. I can do that better than you. And as soon as you have anything that, that is worthy of, of being rejoiced over, they have to dash it because they've got to tell you something better than that. And it's always about them. That is a relationship destroyer. And is it any wonder that there's people out there who feel completely isolated and alone and have no friends and, and 
Oftentimes, it's because they don't know how to build a relationship. They only know how to destroy it because it's all about them. And they focus upon all that they need, and they try and suck life from everybody around them because they're so needy. And it destroys community, and it destroys relationships. And Paul says to every one of us, look in the mirror and make sure you do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But, and there's that word that means here comes the opposite. With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Humility builds relationships. If pride is the puffing up of myself, if, if pride is the elevation of myself, we, would, we think that maybe humility is the putting down of ourselves, but that's not true. You see, in pride, we tend to put ourselves up so, or put people down so we can build ourselves up. And we think maybe the opposite is if I build, tear myself down, it will, but that's not humility. Humility, as somebody once cleverly said, is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. It's not putting myself down. It's not thinking that I'm less. No, it's thinking about myself less and less and focusing my attention upon others, upon God, who He is and what He's called us to, and then serving and loving other people where they are. It's a focus on God and others. Instead of fixing our eyes on ourselves, on all that we do or can do or have done, we fix our eyes on others. What they may need from us. How we may encourage them. How we may be of some help. Someone said this, love begins when someone else's needs are more important than my own. That's where love starts. Thomas Constable in his commentary says, Paul was not saying that we should view our, everyone as better than ourselves in every way. His point was that we should view others as worthy of more consideration than we give to ourselves. More consideration. It's not that, that I'm, not, I'm less important. No, we're all important to Christ. It's just that as I live my life, I consider what another person needs is more important than what I need. Verse 3 deals with how we view people. Verse 4 deals with how we relate to them. So we view people. not We don't take a selfish or empty conceit perspective, but with humility of mind, regard them more important. Then in verse 4 he says, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Your personal interests matter, but he says, don't look out for them only. Put others before you. It begins at home. The hardest relationship you can do this in, your marriage, if you're married. To consider your spouse's needs more important than yours. Man, if everyone did that in a marriage, there would not be any divorce. 
there would be misunderstanding because we even, even misunderstand good intentions and, and, and good, good uh, words. And, but if we continually and strove after putting the other person's needs first, we learn to find out what is it that they need, truly need, what is going on inside of them, what's their heart longing, and we sought to meet that need. Marriages will be flourishing. If we live this way in community with one another in the body of Christ, the church would be built up. And I would imagine that it's quite possible that the church would begin to grow and explode if that's how people really live their lives toward other people. People would be like, what is different about these people? What's going on over there? Humility builds up relationships. Paul's the perfect example back in chapter 1, verse 24. Right? When he, and he was there and he said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm hard-pressed. To depart and be with Christ is much better. That's what I really want to do. But I'm aware of the fact that to remain here in the flesh will mean fruitful labor for, for you or for me and will be beneficial to you. And that's what you need. Therefore, I'm convinced of this, that God's going to keep me here for a little longer. Paul was looking and saying, it's not what I want, it's what you need. And I'll carry on. That's what God has called us to. So that we live in harmony with the purposes of God and with one another. Jesus is the melody. He is, he is singing. He is playing it. We need to get in line with that. And then serve as we can, bringing our gifts, our abilities that He has given us, and the time and effort, all that we have to bring to the table. And we serve in harmony with the Lord and one another. And the body's built up and the gospel is made pleasing, if you will, to those who are looking for it. To those whose hearts have been prepared to hear it, to see it in action. It's compelling. The rest are going to be contrary to it. But the body, the, the music is honoring to Christ and is, is useful in the advancement of His kingdom. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful. Grateful for a, an illustration that we can hear and see, if you will, and experience musically that helps us to maybe get a picture of what this could look like as, as we work in harmony with you and with one another. As the body is built up because we walk in humility, not in pride and arrogance. God, we ask you to do this work in us. Lord, bring conviction where conviction is needed. Bring encouragement as we look and we see this happening in pockets and places here. 
we can rejoice in that. And God, may you cause us to hunger and thirst for more. To see and hear it more fully, more beautifully. To be part of what you're doing. To make beautiful music together. It is our joy and our privilege, Father, to join in your orchestra, your choir, to have a voice to make beautiful music together. Would you be pleased to continue a work in us to bring about greater and greater harmony? Words in Christ's name we pray.